Hello and welcome to Dismantle Racism, where our goal is to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. We really do want to create a world where racial equity is the norm. I am your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. This morning, I do want to invite us to start with a meditation, as always, and I want to invite you to find your breath. But I'm going to read to you a meditation from my book, Dismantling Racism, Healing Separation from the Inside Out. I want to share with you a meditation that I wrote at um, towards the beginning of the book. And each section of the book, each chapter begins with a meditation just to help to center us. Because as you know, when we do work that is highly charged, we need a way of centering ourselves. So I invite you, if you would, to just ground yourself, connect with the floor, with your feet planted solidly there, connect with your chair, connect with the energy of your knowingness and your divine wisdom. And I invite you to breathe in and out as you hear these words, knowing presence There is a place that resides deep within me that speaks to who I am and my relationship with you, the sacred. This place reminds me that I am loved unconditionally and divinely created. This place reminds me that all of us are called to a purpose and are all interconnected. This place reminds me that there is something more than the ugliness that is often presented in the world. This place of beauty, indescribable love, and inexplicable peace is not that far away because it is found in you, my sacred wisdom and guide who resides within me. Help me to remember to remember when raw emotions creep in, when my words get twisted or my heart becomes hardened. Help me to remember, to remember that your sacred presence is always there. Help me to remember, to remember to see you, the sacred, shining your light through me. And though it might be a bit more difficult, help me to remember to remember that you are also present with others. And so it is, Ashe and Amen. Take a deep breath in, sigh it out, and let's begin. Since our last show, we've seen a lot of ugliness, more gun violence, more police brutality, actually, a police shooting that killed a young man. And so we've seen a lot of despair going on in the world. But I believe, as I continuously say on this show, that if we all do our part, we can actually help heal the world. Because we know that there's goodness that happens in the world. We know that there are uh, good people in the world. We know that there are good police officers in the world. We also know 
that it is up to us to make a difference in the world. So in my book on dismantling racism, I actually walk us through a journey of how we can help heal the world. And that's by tapping into that divine source, that sacred intelligence that will help us to manifest our goodness and the goodness of others when we can rely on that. And so I describe a process of helping us to walk this journey because I know it is a difficult one. I began by sharing how important it is for us to understand our sacred motive. Why do we want to dismantle racism in the first place? Or why do we want to change gun laws in the first place? Why do we want to be more inclusive? What is our why? And our why has to be something that's greater than ourselves. Because we don't exist in this world alone. We cannot begin to look at what's happening with mass shootings and mental health or the differences between the way the the person was treated who killed five people in a parade versus a young black boy who was pulled, not boy, man, who was pulled over by the police and shot 60 times. We can't begin to fathom how we can heal this land without understanding that we're all interconnected and what happens to one person really impacts us all. So there's a process of engaging with ourselves where we determine what's our sacred motive. The other thing that I talk about in the book is our selfish mindset. And what do I mean by that? Our ability to examine ourselves, to see how we show up in the world What do we do to contribute to or what do we do to detract from racism in this world? I particularly focus on racism, but it could be whatever your particular passion is. And I happen to think that racism and race is an intersectionality to almost everything that we talk about, if not everything. And so I invite you to think about ways in which you can examine your selfish mindset. And I just want to share with you a couple of things from my book that I talk about. So if you were to examine your selfish mindset on what I call the sacred intelligence journey of faith, meaning faith that we can heal this particular country, here's what will happen. It will help you move away from the fear of saying something wrong or offending people, because I often get that as a reason why people don't want to engage in this work. It will help you to get beyond the fear of losing friends or families or colleagues, because sometimes we have to let go of people who are toxic, people who are not advancing our purpose. It will help you let go of the guilt and shame that holds you back from doing this work because I talk to so many people who stay stuck and feeling guilty and so they don't move forward. But if you practice a selfish mindset where you examine yourself, you can move beyond that. And it can help you move beyond the guilt and shame that actually shakes your confidence or the guilt and shame that blocks your progress when you've made progress. 
when you examine yourself from a selfish mindset, it will also help you feel more certain in your walk. I continue to deal with people who take my classes, who who will constantly ask in the beginning of their journey, am I doing this right? Did I offend you when I say X, Y, and Z? There comes a time when you engage in this work where you simply have to just rely on your sacred wisdom, your sacred intelligence, and trust that to guide you in this work. You will make some mistakes. I make mistakes in doing this work, but we must continue to press towards that mark of healing racism in this world, not just this country. And then the third thing I talk about is our shared movement. We don't do this alone. We do this when we walk hand in hand with other folks. The reason why I talk about a shared movement though is because if we're going to dismantle racism, we have to move. We can't just sit back and say someone else is going to do the work. And when we don't choose to step up, we can take a look and see where our other rights are being infringed upon as well. Because again, there's an intersectionality. So know that when you commit to dismantling racism, there are other folks out there who will help you to move along this journey. I'm here to help you. You can reach out to me anytime you choose at sacredintelligence.com. I'm here to walk you through the journey. But I'm not the only one who can walk you through the journey. In fact, my guest today, Bodine Sanders, has his own story, his own journey of how you can walk through healing this world. And so today we're going to be talking about the magic of multiculturalism, how racism and prejudice robs us of how we can connect with one another. And it perpetuates this system where some people benefit and others do not. So I'm so delighted to join in in this conversation today with Bodine Sanders. Now, I want to share a little bit about you before I bring him on. Bodine actually attended the oldest historically Black college and university, which was Cheney University, A for the HBCU. You know my feelings on that. Uh, And he transferred from Cheney and went to Villanova University. I can guarantee you that there were vast differences between attending an HBCU and a PWI, a predominantly white institution. So he writes about his experiences in his book, which we're going to talk a lot about. He has served on so many boards, and um, you can find out more about him, of course, when you look up Bodine Sanders. But today we're going to talk about his book entitled Race Against, Against Race. And it's a fascinating book, and I hope that you will take an opportunity to pick up his book. But for right now, right before the break, I want to just welcome Bodine on. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. I'm so delighted to have you with me. Well, you're still muted, Bodine. Are we ready? Yes, we're ready. Welcome to the show. 
Well, Reverend Dr. TLC, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I look forward to our conversation after the break. Hey, it's going to be a great conversation because you have such an interesting perspective having attended both a historically Black college and university and attending a predominantly white university. And you know, I just have to do this plug because I attended the greatest HBCU, which is Howard University. Put your eyes back in your head. And I know for the people who attend HBCUs, they hate that I say that on the show. And every time I get pushback from it, guess what I say? My show, my plug, Howard University all the way. But I'm excited for anyone who has the privilege of attending an HBCU. But we're going to hear more about it when we come back. So stay tuned, everybody. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. back with my guest today, Bodine Sanders. And we're going to be talking about Bodine's book, Race Against Against Race. Um, but Bodine, before I, I begin our conversation about your book, I know that you grew up uh, in the Baptist tradition, Southern Baptist tradition, I, I might add. And I wonder in thinking about your particular um, issues that you faced in life and particularly around race. How does that help to ground you in the work that you do and in 
your aim to be a multicultural individual? How, how does your sacred source help to ground you? Very good question. Um, you keep it simple. And I know folks uh, are familiar with the acronym KISS, but I, what's great about the freedoms we have, you can change things. So I don't like the traditional KISS, keep it simple, stupid. I've changed it to keep it simple and successful, mm. right? And having grown up in the church, attending Sunday school, then church, grandmother being one of the head ushers in the church, um, you know, you have a foundation. Mm. And one of the things that I remember is, you know, do, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, what does that mean? The golden rule, right? It's simple. One of the things I like to say is, if you want to be treated fairly, you treat people fairly. So I grew up in an all-Black environment, 98.5% Black environment. So I take those experiences, and then once I was able to get out of that environment, I was always able to fall back to my experiences in that environment and compare them. It's just that simple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, but I know that, look, faith is great to ground us, right? You know, uh, obviously I'm a preacher, so I use that to help me to get through the day to day. And we can say, yes, we treat people like we want them to treat us, but you've had some experiences. Again, going to a black school and going to a predominantly white school, that that has been hard. It's really, really been hard to go through those challenges. Mm -hmm. So yes, you can say, I treat people the way I want them to treat me. What do you do when people don't treat you? And, and, And how do you use your faith to help you to continue. And and this is an important question because I think that people need to understand that we're going to have these challenges, but Mm -hmm. that's where we have that grounding. So how, what do you do? What practices do you have that'll help you to remember, I'm not going to punch this person out right now. Or I'm not going to punch them out. (laughs) Well, 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 listen, you have growing pains, right? Mm -hmm. And as a young man, it, 18, 19, 20, all the way to 22, 23, 24, you make mistakes. I did punch people, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But I had, to lo- I had to learn from those actions, right? Mm-hmm. I lost my temper and I would hear my mother's voice in my head after that when she would say, you better go find it before I do. Right. I love I love that you say that in, in, in the book, right? Like if you right. lose the temper, you better go find it. Right. That's before awesome. she before she does, because you know if mama says she's gonna do something, <laughs> right? So, but you learn from your mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. I didn't wear my Southern Baptist religion on my sleeve. Right? I didn't do I'm not one of those people that do, but I'm also uh grounded, so I will remember. Just like you go to school and you remember one plus one equals two and you learn the basics of biology and science and math and reading. 
I still remember the basics, right? Which is the foundation of what you were taught. So I was just able to make mistakes, recover from those mistakes, analyze those mistakes, right? Feel bad about them, uh, uh, think about them. What would I do differently? How would we do it differently? But also I had the opportunity to be in an environment where you were being coached. Mm. And I see coaches as teachers. I'll use that as an example, right? When you have teachers and then you also have coaches, you're constantly learning, right? Mm -hmm. In sports, the coaches aren't just teaching us the X's and O's of the sport. They're also teaching us how to use life experiences in sports, right? If you have to learn math, you have to learn reading, you have to be able to read your playbook and understand it, right? So coaches were always teaching especially if you're, uh, your aspirations is to go on to the next level, meaning go from high school to college. We know you have to have a certain grade point average at certain schools in order to get in. So coaches will also be reinforcing what the teachers, your academic teachers, are teaching you, right? You have to get your schoolwork in order to, to, to move up to the next level. So when you have two areas of teachings and it's being reinforced, it's always on your mind. So I, I just want to say one of the things I forgot to say to our listening audience is Bodine is a motivational speaker. So if you hear him and his answers get in his rhythm of, of speaking and his passion about it, I think it's a natural part of who you are. And so I'm glad that you're talking about coaches and teachers and really talking about um, because that's the analogy that you most often use is your sports. Talk to me a little bit about, because I believe that there are differences between attending an HBCU and a PWI in terms of what we as people of color experience, right? So I know that for me, attending an HBCU, it was reinforced who I already knew myself to be based on what I had learned in church, what I had learned in my community, because my community was predominantly Black, even though Um, I attended a a predominantly white school in elementary school to high school. So, um, so I know the grounding of that. So talk to me about the differences that you might have experienced as a black athlete at a predominantly white school that might be a little different than what people who are not connected with sports experience, right? Because I think that I I, I won't share what those are right now. I'd like to know what was your experience like at a PWI as an athlete and how race intertwined with that? Well, and I write about this in the book once, and I had the same experience and I would describe it the same way you did. Uh, Growing up in an an all black uh, environment, walking on the campus of Cheney University, it wasn't something new. I had that experience. The only difference was I was, on, I was in a higher level experience, right? I went from an all black high school to an all black college. That's an elevated experience. But everything else was the same. It was similar. It was familiar. So it wasn't uh, new to me. I wasn't out of my element. 
However, I had classmates and teammates who went to a uh, diverse high school mm -hmm. or schools their entire career. So when they get to this HBCU, it's new to them. Oh, it's culture shock. For them. Right. Yes. Right. They didn't know they didn't know how to act. Right. I mean, they and they never and think about the guys who went to uh, or attended private uh, private boys' schools, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden they show up on this campus, and there's beautiful black women of all shades walking around. Right. They lost their mind. I, I, I'm sure they did, and because the <laughs> other thing too, the other reason why students sometimes lose their mind when they go to college, period, because it's their first freedom that they have, particularly when they're raised in particular religious traditions. So share, share more about your experiences. So, so th that was absolutely what I learned. But what I also learned was, based on the region of the country you grew up in, a, a, a person of color that grew up out west or in the Midwest or in the South or Southwest or in the East Coast, they're not all, they don't have all the same um, personality traits and culture and experiences. Mm -hmm. Sure, we, we, we are uh, the same in terms of re relatable, in terms of color, ethnicity, but in terms of our upbringing could be totally different. Absolutely. So I was able to discover that and find that out. Right. Right. So and there so, was diversity so think, within the Black community. Exactly. And I think that what's important in this conversation is people often think that the Black culture is a monolith. We are not. No. We are vastly different. In fact, some people may have more similarities that, with white people than they do with another Black person or uh, other people of color. And that's okay if that's the case. Because again, we're talking about multiculturalism right, mm -hmm. on today's show, which is why it's important for us to really think about how do we dismantle racism mm -hmm. and how much we will miss out on opportunities if we choose only to be surrounded with people like ourselves. So let's go now to Villanova. When you got to Villanova, I'm sure there must have been some cultural shock for you there. Well, to, to, to be honest, it was not. And why wasn't it? Because the frame of mind I was in didn't allow me to be in that culture shock space. And we can talk more about it after the break, but I was there for a purpose. My purpose was to play higher level football. What does that mean? Cheney University was a division uh, three football program. Villanova was a Division I AA football program. So I had to, I was there on a mission. So I didn't let a lot of distractions or a lot of changes affect me in the way that it affected other people. So, so what I want to know, though, because this is a part of the question I was asking before, do you believe that you experience less um, less racism as an athlete than the average black or brown person attending Villanova. And yes, I know that a break is going to be coming up very soon. So I just want to, I would love an answer to that. Do you think that it was different for you being an athlete? Because, you know, athletes are treated kind of special. 
I would answer the question in this short way because you told me to keep my answer short. <laughs> as a athlete, be it white or black, but as a black athlete, we had privilege. Okay. And I believe that to be the case, right? And so yeah. thank you for thank you for acknowledging that. Doesn't mean that you still didn't have experiences that, that would be correct. That would but, be correct. But but I do believe that there's a privilege because there's a lot of other stuff that goes on. But we're Absolutely. not actually here to talk about what athletes get, the perks <laughs> that they get and don't get. We're actually here to talk a bit about your experiences and um, some of the ways in which your book talks about your experiences in order to inform how you tackle multiculturalism and inclusivity. So when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more uh, about the book. We'll be right back with Bodine Sanders, who's talking about his book, Race Against, Against Race. We'll be right back. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. back with Dismantle Racism. My guest today is Bodine Sanders, and we are talking about his book, Race Against and Against Race. So Bodine, tell us a little bit uh, about your book and how it might be different from other diversity and inclusion books. You're, you're muted. There we go. Yes. It didn't pop up that time. Um, the subtitle, actually, the way I designed it and created it, gives you that advanced look into what topics and the direction or the narrative of the book. 
because race against against race is just to capture your attention mm -hmm. right but we all know book shoppers and buyers when they go to a traditional bookstore right with their coffee and they buy something and they grab they grab 10 books and they sit down and they're going to decide which of the three books they're going to buy they start with the title subtitle open it up and read the table of contents mm -hmm. and then that's how they decide so that's what i learned from my mentors and that's how i designed and came up with the title the subtitle and the subtitle is my journey of diversity and inclusion through sports because it's a binary narrative it's about how team sports and my sports experience helped me build great relationships across different socioeconomic backgrounds, religion, ethnicity, uh, uh, you know, all of it, regional uh, differences. And so that's the bulk of it. I, and, and there's a lot to talk about. That's way I, and the way I designed it is there are seven chapters, 42 topics. And yes, it matches my jersey number. So I was very creative in doing yes, that. Yes, right? of course, of course. So for those who can see his jersey in, in, in the back there. Um, right. So so here's the thing. I, I believe that as you're going through your journey in your book, and mm -hmm. each chapter or, or, or topic ends with race, at mm -hmm. the end, because you are racing. In fact, as you start the book, you're, you're really talking about racing as you're talking about this. I don't want to give too much of the book away because I think people uh, would re value reading it, but like the idea of running a race, right? Mm -hmm. And a nightmare. Mm -hmm. um, but a part of what you uncover in the book is that whether you, uh, that, that, that you and your black teammates don't fit the stereotypes, right? Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about what that means, that you didn't fit the stereotypes. Maybe well, you think, what the stereotypes are first, and then how you didn't fit. Well, if you think about, I mean, I graduated high school in 1983, and you think about the time period that we were in. We go through changes in this country every 10, 15 years. Culturally, things shift, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you think about where we were back in 1983, the black athlete was described or viewed as this uh, incredible athlete, but wasn't articulate. And when you found one that was articulate, it was definitely noticeable in terms of the way people said, oh, he's articulate. Yeah. Or if he had a... Uh, great personality they would say oh he has character right so uh and then when if something bad happens oh you were really pounded on right mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. based on the history of the sport you know there could be two descriptions of a black athlete mm -hmm. right but the most part the most of the time the black athlete was portrayed in the media on tv and in that space as you know not just the dumb jock because the dumb jock would would shift from the black athlete to white athletes as well now right, right? but right. it was it was more sinister with the black athlete mm -hmm. so what i discovered when i arrived at villanova i was one of five total black football players on a team of 125 trying out for the team to make the team 
there were, I went from a perfect example. I had all black coaches my entire career, right? I leave Cheney, I get to Villanova, there's only one black coach on the coaching staff. The chances are that black coach was not going to be my individual coach. That means I'm about to have the first white coach of my career. Mm. So these are the things uh, that I was learning while I was on on campus at Villanova from day one, right? Um, Walking from the football office to main campus to register for the room and get all your paperwork done. I didn't see anybody that looked like me. Mm -hmm. And so right there, you know, I asked you it prior to the break, right there, there's a shift because there's a lot of learning that you had to do that was very different and, and not for nothing. You and I both know, I, I know that you have to be bicultural. There's no way for us as black people to navigate this world. If we're not bicultural, if you had a white coach for the first time, there were different ways, I'm sure, that they coached you versus your Black coach. There might be, whether it's a subtle difference or not, like there might be some conversations that you can, you and I can have using some language that we have or using some behaviors that we have that we are familiar with that are different when we're engaging with the same thing with a white person. At least that has been my experience. And so I think that there were things that you had to shift going from an HBCU to a white school. Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And but but my, my, the way I describe it is is different than the way a lot of other people describe it, based on my personality, but also based on my upbringing. So I'll give you a really quick example. You are right. The my first coach at position coach at Villanova, white coach, Paul Ferraro, great guy. But I, it was on me. I wasn't used to being coached by a white coach. Mm -hmm. He had diversity in his background. He had played with black athletes. He had coached black athletes. So it wasn't on him. It was on me to gain that experience. And how did I do it? I had help from my teammates, meaning my specific defensive back teammates who also had diversity in their background. I was the only one that didn't have it. Hmm. So I needed to, I needed to catch up. So, 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 you know what? I appreciate that. And, and my pushback would be this, just because a person has diversity in their background, just because they've had other black people they've coached, it doesn't mean necessarily that they coach those people based on how that person shows up. What it often means is, is that that black person has to conform to the white standards of the world. Now, I know there's a certain way that football is played and I know that the game is similar for people, blah, blah, blah. I get that. I also think, because I, because this is one of the things that comes up often, whether it's training, whether it's talking about somebody on a job, whether it's, it is language, language and the ways in which we speak. So I know as a person of color that I speak with passion in my voice. 
And I also know that Black people tend to be really direct sometimes. We're very, and, and Southerners, I can only speak for myself, having come from the South and being a Black woman and being in the family. We're very, very direct with one another. Sometimes I know when a white person sees that, they're intimidated by it. And they, they make it almost a deviant behavior. So I do think that I appreciate what you're saying from your perspective, that you had to be the one to make the change. But I do want to acknowledge that I think it's important for all of us to be able, if we're going to be inclusive, to really understand that other person with whom we're working with as well. So oh, I, just- I, I do not disagree with you, but what, what I would say is you're talking about the relationship at a different level. Mm. I'm talking about the relationship because in my book, it's about the beginning, yes. right? You have to start at the beginning, not jump into the middle of the book, not jump into the end of the book. You start at the beginning and I'll give you a quick example. What I mean by I was I was the one that needed to adjust or needed to gain experience. Here's the perfect example. When I say my coach had experience with diversity, meaning he played with black athletes, he coached black athletes. He had more experience in that diversity space than I did. And you did. Mm-hmm. Right? So how did I overcome it? Let's give people some answers. How did I overcome that? It was easy. Once I was able to give my white coach the same level of respect that I gave my black coaches in my career, Mm. then he was able to pull more out of me and make me and help me become a better athlete. Mm. But I had to start at the beginning. And that's a wonderful lesson for us then. In doing this work of dismantling racism, inclusivity, uh, DEI is both parties after work. Absolutely. No question. So I appreciate you saying that. Now, you use the word respect, and I know that we have to uh, come to a break in just a minute, but you use the word respect. In your book, you actually talk about this idea with whether it's your teammates, your classmates, your coaches, that in order for us to be this multicultural world, we have to have mutual respect and acceptance of one another. So you actually have perfectly illustrated your point in that because that's a big thing, you know, a big theme in your book. You know, I want to come back to something just after the break, and that is this. You know, uh, you, you talked about this being the 80s when you had... Uh, the experiences that you had. And then some time has passed, you know, since that. Um, and you've become wiser, uh, older and wiser, right? But while you were writing your book, there were some of the same issues, race relation issues from the past that continue to unfold in present day. So when we come back from the break, if you could uh, talk to us a little bit about what are the differences that you see between race relations in the 80s uh, and now? Like, what are some differences and some similarities? So after the break, we want to talk about that. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. 
Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. Calling all pet lovers. Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. back with my guest today, Bodine Sanders. Um, Bodine, before the break, I ask you to think about what are some similarities and differences as it relates to race relations that you noticed in the 80s versus the time that you were writing your book? Woo. That, that's, a, that's not a tough question. That, that, that requires a, a, a long answer, but I'm going to try to keep it short. <laughs> In the 80s, um, the conversation around race relations was limited to um, civil rights activists. It was not a conversation that happened every day with everyday people. It was a smaller group of people in that space, functioning in that space. However, for athletes, that is not the case because of diversity in sports. We as athletes were having those conversations because when you're together so much, you have no choice. But Mother Nature makes it where you're going to have those conversations, right? But if you're in a different environment, you may not have that conversation for five years. Mm. I'm curious, though, what were some of the conversations that you would have as an athlete? Oh, we would talk about everything. We would talk about, uh, and I write about it in the book. We would talk, it could start from uh, uh, dismantling uh, stereotypes, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Or debunking stereotypes, right? It could start with, food, uh, culture, music. It could get into politics, depending on where you were. Um, it, it could get as deep as, for example, 
my teammates and I, and I don't mean my entire team, I mean a select group of our, our, our clique or our crew, if you would call it, right? You always have a crew that you hang with that you have a little bit better relationship than the other athletes, especially when you're talking about a team of more than 75 individuals. So we, one night, we're just hanging out. You know, you have athletes, you have tons of energy. You don't go to bed at 9, 10, 11 o'clock. No, you have so much energy, you don't go to bed till 2 or 3. I mean, it's just the way athletes' bodies function. So what do you do? You're in the room, you're hanging out with your crew, you're listening to music, and you begin talking about life, right? Black and white athletes talking about movies, right? We start off with watching uh, Bruce Lee movies, talking about Bruce Lee movies. I'm finding out that my white teammates that are in the room love Bruce Lee movies just as much as the black athletes love the Bruce Lee movies. Then we would move to the hard conversation, Roots, the movie. Mm, mm. And how did, finding out, how did my white teammates in the room feel about the movie and what my black teammates were saying about the movie, right? Mm -hmm. And finding out that my white teammates watched the movie more times in that, you know, three-year period that they aired it every once a year, watched it more times than I did, mm. right? I watched it, but I didn't watch it every year it came on. So those- Because our experience is different watching Co groups. Correct, correct. So that, those are kinds of finding out, finding out, right, the whole stereotype that, uh, People of color love fried chicken. Well, I'm sitting there going, hold on. I'm at a PWI and they serve chicken all kinds of ways. Chicken cordon bleu, chicken, uh, bill, you know, all, all kinds of chicken meals. And I'm like, hold on, they, they, that, that's not right. And then finding out that they love fried chicken just like I do, right? Exactly, exactly. Those are the kinds, and you have those conversations. So, like, so I want to, I want to get us because I, I know you're, ex you're excited here, but so what, when you were writing your book, mm -hmm. what were the similarities that you were noticing? Because in the eighties, like you said, maybe it was more the civil rights activists who were doing this work. What were you noticing in terms of race relations while you were writing the book where there were similarities? You know, I, I, I know that people often use this phrase, nothing has changed. And I don't agree with that because I do think there are many things as it relates to race relations that have changed. But what were you noticing that was similar for you? Well, to, to, to go from the 80s and specific pockets, right? I know athletes on diverse teams are having those conversations. The civil rights space, folks working in that space is having that conversation. The rest of, of America may not have been having that conversation for a number of reasons. Head buried in the sand, avoiding it, whatever the reason may be. Now, moving forward to the 2000s, right, and where we are now, more people are having the conversation about race, right? But also, there's more people feeling emboldened to say negative things. Right. So right. even though we have come a long way, but as I tell people, I was born in 1965, right around the end of the civil rights uh, of movement, so to speak, 
right? Mm-hmm. Voting Rights Act was passed, civil rights right. was passed a year before. But if you look in your rearview mirror, that's only 57 years ago. Exactly. And I think that that's so interesting because I don't think people understand that we're not even talking about that long ago. And some uh, we, we're, we're the product of that, right? We are the product of that. And what I also learned actually in a recent class that I taught, this person was sharing with us that someone who was involved in one of the most heinous acts of the civil rights movement is a known person who was a judge and that person still lives and exists, but they were a known person in this violent act. Those people, if they're still existing and haven't changed, because according to her, this person hasn't changed, how do they think that impacts us? So listen, Bodine, there's so much more that we could have talked about, but of course we're getting to the end of our time together. And I want to encourage people to buy your book because I think when they read your story, your story of, you know, at one point being homeless and the roommates, the white roommates who invited you to stay with them, it cuts across race. And I do appreciate that you keep saying, because you talk about sports a lot, right? That you talk about what it was like for athletes, because not everybody has that experience. We know that there were people who didn't want a black roommate, but there's something sacred, if you will, about athletes getting together. And I think the ways in which you talk about race and racism and race relations, there's a lot that we can learn from it. So I want to encourage people to please uh, buy the book because I also think that you talk about how do you have these difficult conversations? You can learn how to have them, but not only that, you can give insight into, or you can gain insight into really the thinking of a person of color when we are in all white spaces. So I think that um, it would behoove my listeners to pick up the book, to learn from it, not just white uh, listeners, but listeners of color as well, because it helps us to figure out how we can navigate the system and how we really can create a multicultural world. So I just want to thank you, Bodine, for being a guest on the show. Could you tell people quickly how they can get in touch with you and buy the book as well? Well, they can find me on, on social media, you know, uh, Google or pull up or research my name, bo-deansanders.com is my website. Uh, you can pick up my book on Amazon, which is the fastest way to get it, right? Um, and yeah, so I, I, I'm available. Um, I love talking to have this conversation. And listen, I agree with you. There's two parts to this story as well that I write about in the book. That's a that's a, a, a what we call an Easter egg, talking about the differences between the black athlete and just the black student. I focus on that as well. And that was part of one of your questions. There is a difference. Yes. So maybe, I can come, maybe I can come back another day and we can talk about well, it. Well, maybe so, Bodine. We might have to have <laughs> you back. And so, Bodine, I just want to really thank you for being uh, on the show and for writing the book. I think it's a book that is important also for young athletes to be able to read this book, to figure out how do I navigate not just the sports arena, 
But right. how do I navigate these two systems? And so I want to thank you again for being on the show. I want to thank my listeners today. As always, I want to invite you to please go to my website, www.sacredintelligence.com to find out ways in which you can connect with me. I want you to please stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where he helps you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. May today you tap into that sacred part of you that allows you to make choices that manifest your good while you simultaneously help other folks to manifest their good, greatest good as well. So know that we are all one and we exist because of one another. Make it a priority to share love, hope, compassion, and peace today. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. all pet lovers pet avengers assemble on the professionals and animal lovers show we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong it mirrors that bond between pets and their owners through this program we come together to learn educate and advocate join us live every wednesday at 2 p.m at talkradio.nyc post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. 
every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.